Well, and welcome to New Year's Day. Happy New Year. Um, hope the festivities, wherever you are in the world, because I know people all around the world listen, uh, went well and you got to spend your precious time with your loved ones. I certainly did. And we obviously wish everybody the very best for 2023. And given the circumstances that exist in the world at the moment, um, I hope it's a very peaceful new year as well. And for the people in the UK who might be struggling financially, and I know what that's like, then I hope that for you as well, it's a very good new year. I'm Ian Cheeseman, and this is the Forever Blue podcast. Uh, it's a Manchester City uh, podcast, an audio podcast, which sometimes we put a little bit of video up on our YouTube channel as well. And mentioning that, I do a match day vlog, which is on YouTube, and at the Everton game, which for us now, as we're recording this, was yesterday, um, I had the great privilege of going in a private box, which I've uh, never done at the Etihad before. I was able to take in a couple of people who helped me and family members, and we enjoyed the experience thanks to AMAR Development UK, who donated the box to me. So very grateful for that. Take a look at it. I also got some reaction after the game, of course, before as well, on the one-all draw with Everton which is a very much discussed game at the moment. Um, and today, because it's New Year's Day as we're recording this, and we're actually recording it uh, in the morning when most people are a bit groggy and don't want to get involved, um, there's only two of us today. So there's me and Louisa, who you'll have heard on the podcast, certainly the last one, but many times before. And we're going to make this a much shorter podcast than normal. We will return with the full uh, all singing, all dancing podcast, although I promise not to sing or dance, um, after the Chelsea game in the FA Cup. Uh, and obviously there are two games between now and then, the home game against Chelsea and the away game against Chelsea this coming Thursday. So we're principally going to just talk about what went wrong against Everton. And I'm going to read one or two comments out. Um, by the way, I should say a big shout out to Howard Solicitors, who sponsor the podcast. They're based in Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire. They specialise in all sorts of stuff, particularly family law. So if you're going through a separation or you're having problems with access to your children, which might be particularly pertinent at this time of the year when we all want to be with our families, or with social services, then give them a call on 0161 872 double nine double nine or you can email law at howardsolicitors.com and you don't have to be from Cheshire or Stockport or Manchester uh, I'm sure that if you look on their website howardsolicitors.com we'll give them a call they'll try and point in the right direction and give you advice wherever you are especially if you mentioned you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast so the Everton game I don't normally say a lot on these uh, podcasts I usually leave it to my fantastic guests so today I'll I'll say a little bit before I bring Louisa in and my assessment of the performance um, against Everton is that well and then this is a question that I'd love to see your answers to anyway so if you're listening to this podcast I'm on Twitter at Ian Cheeseman you can direct message me, my direct messages are open, or you can just go on there and, and discuss it anyway, or go on the YouTube channel as a sort of forum that reacts to the matches and make your comments on there. I always read them and it's always interesting to hear what you have to say. Now, before the game against Everton, uh, I had Paul Lake on last week's podcast. If you didn't hear it, then go and listen to it. He was great, as he always is. And he, one of the things he did, and there's a video version of it on the YouTube channel as well, he talks about Jack Grealish, only because I asked him, but he talks about Jack Grealish. And he was very measured in what he said. And people liked what he said. 
people uh, want him to succeed. Paul Lake wants him to succeed, but he's a little frustrated by him. And I think we saw in the Everton game everything that frustrates you about Jack Grealish. He slows the game down. Um, he's a, an inverted winger, a right-footed left winger, which I know we've seen Raheem Sterling play in that position um, and other players, actually. But I personally feel that City were at their most potent when Leroy Sane was playing on the left and Raheem Sterling was playing on the right. And the irony is that now we have a target man, old-fashioned centre-forward, who thrive, or you would think anyway, would thrive on crosses and loves to run forward at tremendous pace. And, you know, that you, it's great to see him in motion, um, Erling Haaland. Um, he would thrive on a, a player running quickly down the wing alongside him and sending a ball in for him to finish. So that might be Raheem Sterling, who had pace. It might be Phil Foden. It might be Leroy Sane. But to me, having the two wingers that City have at the moment, who both have a habit of checking back, cutting in, and then allowing the problem of Erling Haaland to diminish because he's already arrived in situ and people are parking parking up and, and, and marking him, that to me is a bit of a problem, uh, which then puts all the pressure, or seems to anyway, put all the pressure on Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne is an, an unbelievably talented midfielder who can pass through the eye of a needle. But the trouble is that when the only supply to Erling Haaland seems to be, most of the time, coming from Kevin De Bruyne, it's easier to stop him. because And, and obviously there's a tremendous amount on pressure to, for him to get it right every single time. And I've seen people after this game against Everton um, suggesting that Kevin De Bruyne had a bad game. I actually thought in the latter stages of the game, it was almost single-handedly him that was trying to win the game. He was driving forward. He was trying everything he could, but he was getting little support from anywhere else, frankly. When Phil Foden came on, I thought he added a little bit of threat, no doubt. And the fact he's left-footed, he was on the left-hand side and he's quite quick. Suddenly there was a bit more threat. And actually when Elkai Gundogan came on, I thought suddenly there was a little bit more invention in that midfield and a little bit slicker passing in and around that area as well. And if you if you want me to sort of compare this team to last season's team, I was a big champion and Louisa might have a different opinion when I bring her in in a second. But Louisa was always championing, and you heard her say it in the last podcast, uh, an old-fashioned driving goal-scoring centre-forward. I actually wasn't. Now, that doesn't mean to say that I don't admire Erling Haaland. I mean, his goal record is amazing. 21 goals already. You know, there's not, not been any... He's a man-mountain, and he definitely adds another dimension. And I'm not saying City shouldn't have signed him either, by the way. Of course you'd sign him. But don't then build your team completely around him or have him playing every 90 minutes and everything being through him. I mean, when I was watching the game last night, I nudged the person next to me and said, you watch every time um, Kevin De Bruyne gets the ball, watch Erling Haaland. And when you're in that elevated position, as I was lucky enough to be on the halfway line, you're not watching on TV, you can see the full picture. It's a lot easier to see this than it is if you're watching on TV or the position in the ground that you are is lower down or you know, a different angle or something like that. But I had the privilege of seeing it perfectly from an elevated view. And every time the ball went to Kevin De Bruyne's feet, Erling Haaland was off like an express train. He expected a pinpoint ball to come to him, which 
quite a lot of the time it does. But the converse of that is if you are the opposition, uh, and yes, Everton might have used time-wasting tactics and fouls and all sorts to slow the rhythm and all that. I'm not denying any of that, which is what a lot of people are saying. But of course, you've got to live with that against a team who might feel that the odds are against them and to trying to beat a team who are far superior, which City are. So I don't blame them for doing that. If City were playing a, a game against a team like that, and especially in the old days when City were crap, let's face it, then I, I would have said, kick them, slide down, go in the corner, do everything you can to disrupt them. That's all Everton did. That's what a lot of opposition teams do, particularly when they come to the Etihad. But Haaland would set off. What If you were the opposition, what would you do? You'd go, right, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is going to try and find him, block his pass and try and be in position to block the pass coming to Haaland if you're a defender. And Everton, for the most part, did that. Ironically, the one goal that City scored came from the inverted winger crossing with his right foot. That is Raheem, uh, sorry, uh, Riyad Mahrez crossed with his right foot, which is not his natural foot. And you very rarely see him do that. Um, but it worked on that particular occasion. But it was the only, uh, the only breach, really. And because City aren't dominating midfield quite like they did last season when they had far more flexibility, I thought Everton, and I've seen people saying the worst team to come to the Etihad, Etihad this season. I don't agree with that. I thought they passed the ball quite nicely. And when they scored their goal, um, I, in a way, I think they deserved it because they didn't give up. They were, they were in the game. And this isn't a one-off. It happened against Brentford. Um, you know, City, to me, it feels like City are not quite at the level that they were last season. Now, statistically, after 16 games last season, they had exactly the same number of points they've got this season. So you could make a statistical argument to say City are just as good. And all that's happened is that Arsenal, who are currently top of the table, are far better. Um, and, and obviously it is true that Arsenal are far better. And statistically, you can't argue with that. But watching the games every week, as I do, and maybe you do as well, I can see a difference. Um, last season, City's threat came from everywhere. I loved Gabriel Jesus. I loved Alexander Sinchenko. And I know he had his critics, but I actually loved Raheem Sterling as well. And I think all three of them, if they'd been playing in that game yesterday, would have meant that there'd have been a lot more movement, a lot more variety in the way that they were playing. And whilst there, there are fans out there of Jack Grealish, and I don't want to sound like I'm having a, a go at him individually, because I'm very conscious of the fact that they're all human beings, these footballers, but I just don't think he fits City's team. He might fit a team somewhere else, maybe, but when everybody else tries to take one, two touches, he takes four, five, and the number of times yesterday that I saw him pick up the ball in the opposition half, turn round and dribble. On, it looked like he was dribbling past his own players to go back inside his own half to then eventually play it square. And I'm afraid Riyad Mahrez is a little bit like that too. Um, although Mahrez occasionally produces an end product. We're not seeing that from Jack Grealish, even though I saw somebody say, well, he didn't do it like that at Aston Villa either. So... Um, I don't want to be negative here, but I just feel as if um, with the challenges that City face, like Chelsea this coming Thursday, City are not quite the same team that they were. I'm not saying they're not capable of going to Chelsea and winning. We all know they are. But it feels to me as if there needs to be a slightly different team selection. 
and a different philosophy from Pep. And I hear all these comments about why didn't he bring on substitutes earlier? I agree with that as well. He wanted five subs, hardly ever uses them. So there's a few things to churn over there. Um, I don't want to be happy clappy, but I don't want to be mega depressed. But for what it's worth, that's my assessment. Now, it's only me and Louisa on this podcast. And she did say to me before we started recording it, have your say. So I've just had my say, Louisa, at your request. So now you have your say. Tell us what you thought and think. Okay, well, um, first of all, another sort of bit of credit to Everton, like I, I gave Leeds the other day, because, you know, I, th I think that, that anyone coming to the Etihad now has to play, you know, I mean, I know we went to Ellen Road, I didn't mean it in that respect, but as in they have to play quite defensively against us. And I sort of felt that Everton didn't come to the Etihad to, to win that game. Um, they they didn't think, sometimes you'll see a, a team being very defensive and maybe have one a little bit further forward forward in cases an opportunity and I didn't see much of that from them um it was almost like there was 11 Everton players behind that ball all the time which was great because if that was the plan then then it worked and they managed to, to sneak and nick a little goal in and they've done their homework because you know that that's what it can take against City if we're messing around and faffing around too much with the ball anyway inevitably that team will will find a small opportunity a small window get through it and they will score against us and you know, from what I've noted over the last couple of years, that that happens a little bit too often for my liking. So, so I think that that of course, wouldn't they have loved to have won the game? But I think maybe that was a bit of a plan, and and, and it worked for them. They played well, um, but we can play better, and we should have won that match. Um, it wasn't the strongest side. Um, I I. I <laughs> Players are very different, we know this, and it's kind of a, a little bit shallow maybe of me to say, oh, such a body's better than such a body. Um, but, you know, it's a short podcast, so, so I won't cut any corners. But I, I genuinely feel that Phil Foden is a better, more rounded player than Jack Grealish. So, you know, why bring him on four minutes before the end? As you've just said, you know, we, we've all been crying out for more subs over the years. Pep a champion of it and he didn't use any of those incredibly talented fabulous players until the last few minutes um I understand maybe why he's saving players I understand maybe why he wants to try a different uh tactic and formation against an Everton side because not every single team in the Premier League is the same and operates the same but I, one of my philosophies, um, and you'll find it on many podcasts that I've been on, is play your strongest side and then switch around your subs. That's what they're on the bench for. Um, I, I know some teams maybe like to play a side and then bring on the great players at the end to maybe nick a goal, score a goal. And that has worked for us in the past, but not very often. So, you know, I know I know you don't like statistics, you don't like percentages, Ian, but if if somebody like me looked at that kind of a a, a chart, you would see that we don't win games very often with an excellent play we've got in the last few minutes. Um, so it, I feel like it's really unfair to then have somebody like Phil come on and, and Gundogan come on. And be expected then to turn that game around, you know, on, on a sixpence and, and win it. <laughs> we should already be two, three nil ahead by that point. 
Um, so I, I still agree with the Grealish comments. You know, I made enough of my own <laughs> the other day. Uh, and again, I actually really like the bloke on a personal level. I've got nothing against him. And you're right about the fact that they're humans. And I don't want to be uh, critical of him because we're all sensitive to to public opinion so you know I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings it's a football game at the end of the day um but you're absolutely right on him holding the game up and I think I mentioned that in the last podcast anyway you know that the fact that he seems to stop the play a little bit and again exactly the same mirroring on the other side you've got Mares. so if you've got both of them on the pitch at the same time then the play isn't going to get flowing and it didn't get a flow to it at all. It was painful to watch. I wasn't at the stadium. I was watching it on the TV. Um, but, you know, I was almost pulling my hair out thinking, where's the flow? Where have we gone? You're right, Harlan's making the run. Kevin De Bruyne is making the runs. But when it's being stopped and when it's just dit, 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 how, how on earth, and you've got 11 Everton players behind the ball, how on earth are we going to win the game? Game, we're not going to win it <laughs> unless it's coming from a set play like a header John Stones almost oh my gosh it's going to get that in isn't it eventually um I felt after about in 10 about 10 minutes in we actually had some great possession and really great play going on but then it, it just you know obviously that initial foul on Haaland which was I thought it was atrocious. I mean, you know, everybody was saying, oh, it wasn't on purpose. The pundits were saying, you know, it was accidental. But if you're that close to a player that you, that you stand on his foot and potentially take him out for the entire game, I don't feel that's very accidental. You're too close to the player. His foot isn't that. I know he's a big guy, but his foot isn't that big. So, you know, it's like... I want to ask you about Haaland because the other day, of course, I championed the guy. He's absolutely amazing. Amazing, is fabulous. Um, and until that foul, and, he, and nobody gets a free pass for, for contact like that, you know, the guy was incensed. He ran straight across the pitch and took the guy out <laughs> because of obviously everything that had been occurring throughout that game and throughout that match. Um, but up until that foul, I actually felt like we saw a completely different side to him. Um, and, and I didn't actually mind it. I, I It was quite entertaining. I was more focused on watching him and his little antics on the ball, off the ball antics um, than, than, you know, anything else. Because the game was obviously quite difficult to watch at that point. Um, but I do want to ask you, Ian, about, about what you thought of his antics because you could see more of it. And how that changed the atmosphere at the ground because I'm sure that it must have changed the atmosphere so what, what do you think? He was he tried to g the crowd up he was obviously full of adrenaline after that incident which you had the privilege this is one of the advantages of watching on tv as opposed to me so I never saw a close-up of that particular incident that you're talking about and I don't think well, I wasn't aware of a match of the day last night, but we were all celebrating New Year's, so maybe it wasn't on. So believe it or not, I haven't seen anything other than in real time that incident. So I've seen people saying it, it was, you know, quite a serious incident. And I've heard what you've said. Um, clearly, it hurt him. And I think he was angry and he was upset and he tried to use that adrenaline, as I say, that was flowing through his body to first of all wind himself up a little bit but also to wind the wind the crowd up and a couple of times he was trying to conduct the crowd behind the goal and get the side stand going um 
and and it sort of worked in little little patches. Um, whether it then meant he lost a little bit of focus and a little bit of concentration, because once you get angry or upset, it can go one of two ways. It can either mean that you just become superhuman in the way that you play, but then again, he already is <laughs> in terms of uh, his sort of running and goal scoring ability. Although you were being hypercritical, which is a word that Paul used the other day, maybe he's not as great a footballer outside the box, but certainly in terms of goal scoring and his physique, um, he's like no other player I've ever seen. I thought he's just an incredible player. Uh, but whether that affected his game later on, I don't know. My, my own personal feeling, as I say, is that, um, and I've seen people suggesting this on social media today, City have actually become a little bit too predictable. You know, get the ball to Kevin De Bruyne, get the ball to Haaland, goal. And when it works, which it will do against 90% of the team City's, City play, Chelsea might be a tougher one to uh, execute that on on Thursday. But certainly when they play, you know, the the sort of, the Fulhams and you would normally think the Evertons that that would be enough to sweep them aside but against the teams who put bodies behind the ball frustrate kick pull time waste and I'm afraid that's part of football whether you like it or not and again I've seen people on social media saying would you want to watch Everton every week no but then Everton don't have the players and the resources that City have got so it's all right us from our lofty ivory tower sort of saying you know yeah we play perfect football well yeah we do and it's marvelous it's brilliant i love it but not everybody can play that because they haven't got the quality of players and the resources so we're very lucky and i appreciate how lucky we are and as i said if we're everton what do we do we try and rough them up and because it's a little bit more predictable now de bruyne great pass harlan scores that's easier to stop that's my that's my concern going forward. But you've got to get it into perspective. We're um we're we're not even halfway through the season yet, and the big challenges have to come. Got to play Arsenal home and away, Tottenham home and away. Got to go to Old Trafford in a couple of weeks. Um, they're picking a little bit of form up now. Got to play Chelsea twice. The cup tie next weekend, I think, will be completely different, anyways, and uh, so. Um, I, I don't. I think Chelsea will put a weaker team out. I think we'll move our pack around. The, the ju- one to judge is Thursday when we play them in the league. And having watched City many, many times in situations like this, I would imagine that City will be really up for that game on Thursday. And um, I, again, I'd, I'd be surprised and shocked actually if City don't win there. I think they'll be that that focused on it and that clued in and Pep will be racking his brains now in, in the week. What do I do? How do I change things? So, um, and, and one other thing I'll say in reply to you and then let you have one last say, Louise, before we bring this shorter podcast to a conclusion is Pep's quote after the game yesterday. Let's see what you think of this one. We played a really, really, really good game. The result was not what we expected, but it's football. We did everything to win. I don't think City played a really, really, really good game. So it's either not wanting to be negative and just try not to have that, you know, negative effect on his players, or he really believes that. And there was a quote, I went to the press conference on Friday, and I've seen the quote circulating around, and it probably used even more now after that result, where Pep was saying, 
something to the effect of, I haven't got the quote in front of me, but I was there, I heard him say it, that um, although he's got a contract for another two years, you know, if the, if, if he doesn't feel that, that, that he's right anymore, the players uh, are singing off, the, that he would be happy to rip that contract up and walk away. Um, now, having said that, before the Everton game, it sort of went a little bit under the radar because it was sort of asked about, uh, you know, how, how are you? This is the longest you've ever stayed anywhere. Are you happy? And that was his response. Now that City have dropped a point, a couple of points, and if let's say they did it again against Chelsea, suddenly that'll be used to hit him over the head with a little bit, won't it? You know, are you not happy anymore? Might you walk? Because that's the way the media works. I know. I worked in the media professionally for a long time and still on the periphery of it. So I know how the media works. They're looking for a story. I don't blame them. That's their job. So go on, Louise. You can have the final say on our mini podcast. Well, I kind of feel like he he did know that it wasn't a really, really, really great game because I feel saying that three times is is overcompensation. I mean, you know, that's just Freud 101, isn't it? Um, so, so yeah, no, he knows, but he, he can't be that negative in front of the camera. And I don't think he can be negative in front of the players. It doesn't help them any at all. And that's one of the great um, gifts, I think, that Pep brings to the team, to the fans and to the players themselves. If he can maintain that positivity and make them feel slightly remotely good and all's good about a game that, that didn't quite go to plan, then, then that's half the battle anyway, isn't it? And, and that's one thing that I'm really proud that he has because we do see on things like Match of the Day, many managers um, be very critical, um, very critical are very negative and that doesn't help anybody whatsoever because as soon as you start losing um the, the that sort of uh, feeling that good feeling that good momentum then everything's against you and you have a mountain to climb um so you know let, let's hope that uh, he continues to be that positive no matter what kind of match we have um the the one thing the one person you mentioned before and you know how I was a, I was a massive fan and massive champion of Zinchenko I miss him incredibly um, in the team. Um, that intelligence, that creativity. We spoke a little bit about him. Paul spoke a little bit about him on the last podcast that we did. Um, you know, and, and and I didn't manage to throw my two penneth in. We do miss his intelligence. We do miss his creativity. I know he wasn't a defender, but when they put him in that position uh, to compensate for the players that we didn't have at the time, he was absolutely tremendous. And the one thing that he used to do was to bring that ball forward, was to run with that ball and drive it forward. And pretty much pass it at the exact right moment he wasn't selfish he wasn't trying to go from the back to score a goal himself you know he was taking it up as far as he could bringing the rest of the field up with him and, and again that's the kind of player that, that we still need and, and I'm really sad that we lose players like that if they're not replaced by somebody equally as good not, not necessarily playing the same way but just equally as good and I feel that there's got to be a certain point where you think, well, how long does a player need to settle into a team? Which again is something I mentioned the other day. You know, it's it's how how long do you give Grealish? And I I said as well the other day in the other podcast that I'm not sure if Grealish is a city player or not. Um, so you know, it's there's got to be a moment where it either clicks and, and he turns into that city player, like many have in the past. Um, but how long do we give him? 
um, before public opinion and, and fan opinion changes against him as well. Um, so Kevin De Bronya, 100% agree with what you said there as well. He was the last person to have had a bad game the other day. One second I'm watching him on the bottom half of the television screen. The next minute is right over the other side of the pitch. And you're like, this guy's all over the place. This guy is absolutely trying to carry this team again, which he's done many times before. He knows how to do it, but why should it be up to him? What, you know, what, and then why should he take the fall for, for us not winning a match? He shouldn't. He should, he should win. He should he should take the credit for us not losing that game in a way, you know, as actually it was a draw. It's still a result better than the loss. So we can we can do better. We should be doing better, especially at home. They're the matches that we need to win. Um, and, you know, again, we've got some very different matches coming up, especially against Chelsea now coming up. I'm still looking forward to it. You know, we're, we're all still we've been through the mill, haven't we? Um, and this doesn't feel anything like it used to feel. You know, we're, we're still up there. We're still at the, the top of the Premier League, which is absolutely amazing to see. Hopefully a few other teams will slip up again um, as teams normally do. Nobody's on fire this season except for Arsenal, you know, great for Arsenal, Arteta, you know, Jesus, Zinchenko, some of our players, some of our team are in there. Uh, they will forever be fondly thought of at Manchester City, ever fondly remembered. Um, good luck to them, but of course, we still need to win that league. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I still think City will win the league, but they've got to prove that now in the next two or three matches. Arsenal have got Newcastle coming up. Um, you know, they've got some big games. So if they get through the next four or five and still carry on winning, then I'll start to think that they could do it. But right now, I still think there's a very good possibility that City will bounce back at Chelsea. Um, I think selling Raheem Sterling, uh, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko for whatever the reasons were in the summer was a mistake. But for the next game, I'd like to see Kyle Walker come back in. I'd like to see Laporte come back in and I'd like to see Foden on one side um, and I'd like to see Alvarez on the other. Um, you know, a bit like Jesus used to play on the right and Alvarez has that possibility to play out wide as well. So I would leave out Grealish, Riyad Mahrez, um, one of the two central defenders and Rico, as good as he is, and he could be the player that becomes Alexander Zinchenko, i.e. the mid, the uh, fullback who can tuck into midfield and do all the things that you like about Zinchenko. I thought he was bullied a little bit by Everton. Maybe people will say unfairly, but that's football. It happens. They do. Teams bully you. Men do that. that that's that's part of the game. You know. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to Louisa for being uh, my uh, sidekick, if you want to call it that. Perhaps uh, perhaps she was the better contributor. You tell me. Come on onto social media and tell me what you think of our opinions on on this. Um, sorry, it's a yeah, shorter be one. Be kind. <laughs> yeah, be kind. We'll be, we'll be back after the Chelsea game. We're going to do one. That's the FA Cup version. We're going to do one a UK Sunday evening after the Chelsea game. So we'll be back then. Uh, and then the one after that will be against uh, United. And of course, check out the YouTube channel for my match day vlogs when instead of me ranting and Louisa, you get lots of fans. And you'll actually get to see Louisa actually in the, the vlog that I did from the game at the weekend um, against Everton because she made an appearance in that. So all the best to the new year. Thanks again to Howard Solicitors for their support. 
And um, even in days when things aren't going quite as well, it doesn't alter my opinion of this. It's great to be a blue. Thank you.